He's so amazing that he can take tears and turn them into triumph. He can take sadness and turn it into joy. And we're going to see a lot of that as we wrap up the book of Esther. The last part of Esther has a lot of God turning tears into triumph. Steve, this is the part of the story where we get to see the, the fun part where the Jewish people are celebrating. And we learn a little bit about a Jewish holiday. That's right. In the beginning of it, we see the birth of a Jewish holiday that's still going on to this day. They still celebrate it. We're going to see through our story today how things are so much different from whenever this decree that went out with Haman to this decree that's going to go out and has gone out from Mordecai. The other thing we're going to see a lot of in this last part is God resolves a lot of the storylines in the book of Esther is we see he resolves these situations in a way that only he can do. There's a lot of contrast and parallels that happen in the book of Esther. Remember, one of the themes, the major themes was God's providence. God provides. Well, we're going to see that happen over and over again as God ties up all the loose ends in the account of Esther here. So if you have your Bible, open it to the Old Testament book of Esther, starting in chapter 8 and verse 15. Steve, if you could read the verses 15 to 17. Then Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal robes of blue and white, with a large crown of gold, a garment of fine linen and purple. And the city of Susa shouted and rejoiced. For the Jews, there was light and gladness and joy and honor. In each and every province and in each and every city, wherever the king's commandment and his decree arrived, there was gladness and joy for the Jews, a feast and a holiday. And many among the peoples of the land became Jews, for the dread of the Jews had fallen on them. So as we see in this last part, even these three verses here that we've just read, there's a resolution that happens. The literary word that gets used is a chiasm. A chiasm is where one part of the story gets resolved in another part of the story, or sometimes it's a parallel or a contrast. We see a lot of that, and we'll point them out as we go. One of the first one we see here is that in verse 15, Mordecai goes out in royal array. He had the robe and the crown and things like that. Well, remember Haman was the one that wanted that. He was the one that thought he deserved to be in the royal robe and the royal crown. Who ended up getting it? Mordecai. So that's another one of these contrasts. It says in verse 17, many became Jews. Well, Haman wanted to destroy the Jews, and he set out to destroy the Jews. In the end, many became Jews. Not only was there not an elimination of the Jews, but there was an increase in the amount of people. There was proselytes, if you will, that became Jews. Haman wanted the glory, and he ended up not getting the glory. Mordecai got it. Haman wanted to kill Mordecai. Haman is the one that got killed. Haman wanted to eliminate the Jews, and it ultimately ended up increasing the Jews. We see a lot of these parallels and contrast that happened throughout this whole, whole account. The other thing I see here, Steve, is in verse 15, it talks about the colors. It goes into specific royal robes of blue and white. And then it talks about gold and garments of fine linen. Well, no surprise that a king would have gold. Kings are wealthy, but it mentions the colors. 
We know from secular history, those were the colors of Persia. The story, as we go along, get increasingly huge amounts of historically accurate details, and it gets increasingly more absurd to call this a historical novel. Moving on, the book of Esther opens with the Jews in disobedience and hiding the fact that they're Jews. What do we have here in this section? Now they're open about their Judaism and they're telling others to the point where now they're they're bringing other people into the fold of following the one true God. We see a lot of that happen throughout the book of Esther. And Steve, what do you hear when you see these verses? Well, when the decree of Haman went out, there was confusion and the people were wondering, why is this decree coming about? Why is it that this decree of killing all the Jews, that doesn't make sense? Here we see that there's great rejoicing wherever it went. And it does say that there's rejoicing among the Jewish people, but it's the exact opposite of what the previous one was. And it also gives them the ability for them to fend for themselves. We see another area where God protected his people back in Egypt. They went in as a family and they increased to the point that they came out a nation. Through these oppressive ways and oppressive things, we see that God takes care of his people and not only takes care of them, but through some of the situations that they are, their numbers actually increase. Yes, their numbers increase because why? Because the Lord God's providentially behind them. Chapter 8, if we remember, began with Esther in complete sorrow. She was completely poured out. She was at the feet of the king crying because the Jews were condemned. By the time we get to the end of chapter 8, the Jews are in triumph and in joy. Tears of sadness at the beginning turn into tears of gladness at the end. We have many of these contrasts that are in the book of Esther. Verses 15 through 17 mention happiness and rejoicing about eight times. Over and over, it just mentions in one way or another about the joy. The great theological truth here, Steve, that we all need to learn is that the joy of the Lord will overwhelm all sorrow. The joy of the Lord will overwhelm all sorrow. I found that to be true. The Jews were living in a time where there was some sorrow, but yet they found joy and the joy overwhelmed it. We, if we live for any length of time, we're going to find sorrow in this life. But guess what? We have a good God that's in charge. Even though we might not be able to find a way out, we're under the decree of death and all the sickness and illness that comes with that and all the corruption and all the problems that we have in this world. But our God can take that and turn it to joy and the joy overwhelms sorrow. Have you found that to be true in following the Lord? I absolutely have. And I've personally experienced it. I've I've witnessed it within family and friends that the joy of the Lord does overcome those type of sorrows. There might be some sorrow for a little bit of a time, but ultimately you look forward to what we're going to have in, in the afterlife. It's something that you start to begin to look forward to. In some ways, your life changes whenever you lose a loved one because you want to go and look forward to the point of meeting once again with them in the afterlife. Sorrow comes at night, but joy comes in the morning. Remember that. Moving on to chapter 9 of Esther, we have in chapter 9 the story of what happens 
on this fateful day, what was originally supposed to be the Jews' death day, but now they're able to fight back. We learn what happens on that day, starting in Esther chapter 9, verse 1, says this. Now in the twelfth month, that is the month Adar, on the thirteenth day when the king's command and edict were about to be executed, on the day when the enemies of the Jews hoped to gain mastery over them, it was turned to the contrary, so that the Jews themselves gained the mastery over those who hated them. The Jews assembled in their cities throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus to lay hands on those who sought their harm, and no one could stand before them, for the dread of them had fallen on all the peoples. Even all the princes of the provinces, the satraps, the governors, and those who were doing the king's business assisted the Jews because the dread of Mordecai had fallen on them. Indeed, Mordecai was great in the king's house, and his fame spread throughout all the provinces, for the man Mordecai had become greater and greater. Thus the Jews struck all their enemies with the sword, killing and destroying, and they did what they pleased to those who hated them. In this account, we have to realize that the Jews were a minority. Except for their own communities, they've always been a minority. They're overwhelmed with numbers. They could have been killed. But yet we have here the Jews fighting back and holding the day. They won the day. What does it say in that passage we just read, Steve, about what happened when the enemies attacked the Jews? What happened? Well, it says that the Jews had mastery over them. It says that they defended themselves and they defeated them. We also see there towards the end of that passage was that the Jews had victory over the ones who hated them. This is a group of people that thought just like Haman. And you get a behind the scenes of why Haman thought that this was going to be a successful decree. There must have been a great, great majority of people that just hated the Jews for no other reason that they're Jewish people. It's no different in our day to day. There's people that are out there that hate Jews for no other reason that they're Jewish and they want to annihilate and get rid of the Jewish people for no other reason that they're Jewish people. Behind that, I think, is that they are worshiping the one true God or they are the one true God's people and nation. But ultimately, it comes down to we just want to get rid of them and kill them because they're Jewish. Look at the last part of verse 2. It says, No one could stand before them, and the dread of them had fallen on all the peoples. Why would the enemies develop a fear of the Jews? They had overwhelming numbers. They had probably more, more wealth. Why would the enemies of the Jews develop a fear of the Jews? The first decree had given them the ability to just kill the Jews. The second decree gave them the ability to defend themselves. But there's also knowledge of who the Jewish people's God is. We saw that whenever Joshua was going into taking Israel into the land of Canaan, the spies came to Rahab and Rahab said, all the stories of your God have come before us and everybody in this city are scared to death of your God. And I believe that this is the same sort of thing here. We talk about providence. I believe that now that they see these Jewish people can defend themselves, they also know that the Jewish people have a God that can destroy them and a God that is behind them. I personally believe that that's part of the reason why the dread came over them. You, you mentioned 
when Israel went into the promised land back in Joshua, God had promised the people of Israel, I will send fear and I will have dread fall on those before you. When the people believed that, they were able to go in. And when Rahab admitted it, she said, we're afraid. So God can turn the hearts of people. God can turn the hearts of people. That's what he's doing here. The providential hand of God is working with Israel and against the people of Persia. In verse three, it tells us who helped the Jews. Who helped the Jews in verse three? It says that all those who were doing the king's business assisted the Jews. The ones who were behind the king, they're the ones that assisted the Jews. The people that weren't doing the king's business, they're the ones that went against them. Look at the end of verse three. It says that the dread of Mordecai had fallen on them. It's the same as at the end of verse two. In the end of verse two, the dread of them had fallen on all the peoples. We have here this phrase, the dread had fallen on them. That is very clearly the hand of God working. The dread had fallen on them. As you pointed out, Steve, God promised to put fear upon the people of Canaanites in in Deuteronomy 2.25 and 11.25. And Rahab used that same phrase, terror of you has fallen on us. I don't want fear to fall on me, Steve. I'm going to try to stay in line with what the Lord is because he's the one that's going to protect me. If we're outside of his will, then it's a good reason for dread to fall on people because you don't want to go against them. We have here the government officials helping the Jewish people. What happened in the first part of the book? The government people were against the Jews. Now the government people are for the Jews. God providentially turned the entire circumstance around. The reason I keep mentioning this is because we get into situations and all we see is the impossible situation. God had been working his providential hand to turn the entire thing around. He can do that. All we have to do is trust him. Keep moving on. We see God's providential hand in this whole section. Haman wanted to use the royal authority to destroy the Jews. Now the same royal authority was protecting the Jews with this second decree. Mordecai was second to the king and ensured the Jews were protected. Today, do we have a king that protects us? Absolutely. It's a great comfort knowing that we have a king that protects us. He has conquered death. We don't have any fear of death anymore because we know that we will have eternal life in Jesus Christ, and we'll be able to be with him, and we'll also be able to reign with him. It's great by having the almighty, powerful God that goes out before you in a conquering way. In the book of Esther, we have a man with the authority of the king, he's got the signet ring, able to give decrees. Mordecai was protecting the Jews. He was a position of authority. We have a man in authority that's going to protect us, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have to worry about the sentence of death that's fallen upon us because he will protect us. The next few verses, Steve, if you could start at verse 4 and read down to verse 6. Indeed, Mordecai was great in the king's house, and his fame spread throughout all the provinces. For the man Mordecai became greater and greater. Thus the Jews struck all their enemies with the sword, killing and destroying, and they did what they pleased to those who hated them. At the citadel in Susa, 
The Jews killed and destroyed 500 men. Who was winning this battle and why? Well, the Jewish people were, were winning the battle, and it's, they, they were having their way with all the people that were coming against them. Now, I do want to point out that it's saying is, is that it's against the people that hate them. The Jewish people aren't out there just going out to anyone. They're defending themselves. These people being the ones who are going with the first decree are coming to kill the Jewish people because they hate the Jews. It's very plain. Through the second decree, the Jewish people are able to fend for themselves and they're having their way with these people that hated them. So the Jewish people, again, were a minority. They were outnumbered with as far as numbers of people and troops, but yet they're winning the day. They're winning the day because God is providentially on their side. Can we have confidence today that we can overcome our enemies? Our enemies are what? The world, the flesh, and the devil. We don't have, as generally, Christians. There are some that don't like us. But a bigger issue to the average Christian on a daily basis is the world, the flesh, and the devil. Do we have the ability to overcome those? We have the ability to overcome them through the power of Jesus Christ. Yes. Yes. That's the point here. Again, this all these applications back here in, in Esther apply to our lives today. The people of Israel were outnumbered, outgunned, and yet God was on their side. Between the beginning of the book and the end of the book, everything switches around. By the end of the book, they have a man and authority on the throne that's that's able to give the power of the throne to protect the people. They have God providentially putting the fear of them into their enemies. They're able to defend themselves. In Esther 9, that same pattern we just read occurs about two or three more times. They go through each every province and end up defeating their enemies and not taking the plunder. That's the other thing is they, the Jewish people come out as ethically more superior because they defend themselves against the people who hated them that were attacking them and didn't go plunder their houses. Look down at verse 20. Verse 20 tells us that Mordecai wrote the book of Esther. He originally wrote the book of Esther. Now we can be fairly confident that Esther, along with most of the rest of the Old Testament, was edited at some point. But it says there in verse 20 that Mordecai wrote the book of Esther. Now, Steve, we're into the kind of the final section here. There's a few good things to learn here in this final section of Esther. The final talk about establishing the holiday of Purim. We learned earlier in the book, Pur, Pur, were what? What was that? Did it say earlier in the book? Pur was the name for the Persian name for casting of lots. The casting of lots. The holiday of Purim is given in the last part of the book of Esther. It talks in several sections about them defeating their enemies, being vindicated by the Lord God, and they repeatedly have a feast and a festival. Mordecai gave this command to read the command that had been given in all the provinces throughout Persia. The Jewish people, observant Jews, have for a very long time now, ever since the book of Esther, set up a holiday, the holiday of Purim. In it, they celebrate two or three themes. 
And Steve, neither you or I are Jewish, but I learned some things about Purim in doing this. And it's a fascinating holiday that aligns with this book. There's some things that, that even us Gentiles can pull out from this book. The holiday is aligned with the book, and it talks about overcoming adversity because we often live in adverse circumstances. Just like Esther and Mordecai, they overcame some adverse circumstances. The holiday talks about seeing the hidden hand of God because even when the Jews read this, they, they see the providential hand of God moving. And it's a time of just celebration. There's a good party that happens. Just like at the end of the book, over and over again, it talks about the Jews having a feast and enjoying this, this celebration. The ancient book of Esther established the holiday of Purim that is still celebrated every year by observant Jews today. Do you know about the specifics of Purim? I had to do some research, but I learned a few things. I do not know the specifics, but I know that there's games that are played that has some of them, the games have to do with a casting of dice. That's about all that I know of Purim. Haman cast lots, cast the purr in order to find out what day that he was going to put a decree out to kill all the Jews. That's where the purr and the casting comes from. He was doing that casting the to come up with a day to kill them. In different Jewish communities that celebrate this, there's some differences in the celebrations, of course, as you might expect. But as a general rule, there's four things that they celebrate when they celebrate the holiday of Purim. They gather in the synagogue and they read the entire book of Esther. They have a reader and he reads the book of Esther. If you've ever heard a trained Jewish rabbi that, that reads the Old Testament, they, they have a cadence that they read it in. And you have to be trained to do that. Well, so I'm told the book of Esther has its own unique cadence. So it's a little unusual. When they do this, they read the book of Esther and it's, it's turned into over the centuries audience participation fun exercise. People will come to the synagogue. They'll dress up in costumes from the people in the story. They'll be Mordecai or they'll be one of the people. Everybody in costumes, when they read it, Whenever Haman's name, the, the, the hated Haman, the wicked Haman, they'll, everybody will boo mm. or yell. And you know, they, they try to yell loud enough to overcome the reader where you can't hear the name Haman said. Well, that's kind of a fun. But then when Esther, one of the good people, come, everybody cheers. Yay. And sometimes when the horse <laughs> comes up, they're riding the horse, they'll neigh in the horse. So it's a game and kind of fun for the kids. Everybody dresses up in a costume and they read the entire book of Esther. That's one of the things they do. Another one is that in Jewish tradition on Esther, because if, again, if you read the last part of the book of Esther, they're giving away food to the neighbors in the book of Esther. That tradition has carried through. Today, somebody that's observing Purim will give food baskets to at least two friends. To at least two neighbors, they'll have food or cookies or candy. There's a particular kind of cookie. Uh, don't ask me to pronounce the name of it, but it's triangular shaped. It's become a tradition. They'll also have a festive dinner. Those are the things that they do. And in many communities now with all the costumes and the celebration, they often have street festivals. And the street festival, they'll have people out there singing and dancing, and there's a lot of music, and everyone dresses up in a costume and kind of does crazy things. It's a, a time for going out and kind of doing crazy things. Unfortunately, it's in some Jewish circles, it's turned into a drinking party because it does mention wine in uh, Esther. Some 
not all, but some take that a little too much to heart. But nevertheless, we have here in Esther the establishment, I think it's the only holiday that's not commanded in Deuteronomy or, or Leviticus, commands you will celebrate these certain holidays, Passover, things like that. The holiday of Purim comes out of the book of Esther. And again, kind of a fun holiday. Always uh, now looking forward to attending a Purim celebration at some point. And isn't it, isn't it great? Because through this celebration, they have this recanting of the story. You said that in there, they see the providence of God's hand. And you think about through the years past the Holocaust and the other things that take place in our recent history of people wanting to kill and annihilate the Jews and push them out of the land that they have today for no other reason that they're Jewish people. But yet they have this celebration of Purim. I can see where it would give them some reassurance that God is with us. God is behind us. He is going to provide for us. He is going to protect us. We pray always that the Jewish people as a whole would come and, as you put in our last session, Glenn, that they would accept the second decree that has come along that will keep them from being annihilated spiritually, and that's belief in Jesus Christ, the Messiah. That gives us a chance to wrap up Esther. We've come to the end of Esther. A reminder about what our ministry does. We do verse-by-verse Bible study, and we do this to try to benefit you as an individual, but also for your church. So if you know a church that needs good Bible teaching or maybe needs good Bible training, our audio and our video, and if you go to our website, reasoningthroughthebible.com, we have lesson plans that go along with all of our teaching, and those are all available for free. You can distribute those and use those at your church. We hope that our studies are benefiting you And we'll be back next time as we continue to reason through the next book of the Bible. Thank you for watching and listening. May God bless you. 